Thank you, worship team. So this morning, we are going to start uh, a sermon series called Honest Prayers. And each week for the summer, I will go through a different psalm. And the psalm, the psalms in the Bible are like worship songs, but they're also prayers. They're the prayers of God's people. And I, I hope by doing this that we might get some, we might learn how, how we can also pray. Um, now, some of these psalms are rather long. And so I'm not going to read the psalm this morning, Psalm 44. I'm not going to read the entire psalm. I'm going to uh, start, we're going to go through it all eventually, but I'm going to start just by reading verses 9 to 16. So if it helps to follow along on the sheet, I'd invite you to do so. Psalm 44, verse 9. But you have rejected us and disgraced us and have not gone out with our armies. You have made us turn back from the foe and those who hate us have gotten spoil. You have made us like sheep for slaughter and have scattered us among the nations. You have sold your people for a trifle, demanding no high price for them. You have made us the taunt of our neighbors, the derision and scorn of those around us. You have made us a byword among the nations, a laughingstock among the peoples. All day long my disgrace is before me, and shame has covered my face. At the sound of the taunter and reviler, at the sight of the enemy and the avenger. So this is God's word for us this morning. As I get started... I have a uh, Father's Day recommendation, if you're open to such, is have you ever watched the movie Up? It'd be a great movie to watch with your kids. Um, I, as I think about me being a, a Father's Day and my kids being uh, 500 miles away in Ohio, um, maybe I'll watch that this afternoon just to remember. But the, the movie Up is not directly about fathers, but it, it really is. It's about a young boy, eight-year-old uh, Russell, who gets to know Carl, um, an elderly gentleman that he wants to help and uh, to earn his wilderness badge. But eventually, Carl becomes like a father to young Russell throughout the movie. So that's all I'll say about the movie, other than the way it, the way they first meet. Russell is going through a script. He comes to, to Carl's door and he's holding up his wilderness book. And, and he, he says, you, you can tell he's reading straight from it. Good afternoon. My name is Russell and I am a wilderness explorer in tribe 54, sweat lodge 12. Are you in need of any assistance today, sir? And uh, so he starts off with a script. And going through that script, and that's how they get started. Um, but as they get to know each other, they, they talk as people. And, and have you ever been talking to someone maybe on the phone at a call center, and you feel like they're just going through a script? They're just reading what they're supposed to say in that situation. Um, every now and then I get ornery. If I'm, if I'm on the call center and I get a little annoyed, I, I, I don't berate them. I, 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 they're still people. I know that. But I try to get them off their script. 
And if I if I have time and I want to I want to be ornery, I I just I try to try try to get them to respond to me as a person, and just to have fun with it. Um, and there are some that are so good you'll never get them off their script because they they might get fired. So, but um, I I start off with this to think about there are times when it is okay to follow a script, especially for like kids, the wilderness explorers. You you're teaching them how to have a conversation with an adult. But ultimately, you want the kids to grow up to speak in a more normal fashion. And the same is true with prayer. It, it might be, there might be times to teach, to learn how to pray. You might start with a script. You might start by pre- praying the Lord's Prayer or some other reciting words, and that's okay. But ultimately, God wants us to learn to pray as a person, to, to respond to him and bring to him our true feelings and not just follow a script, not just come to God to get God to give us something that we want. And so that's going to be one of the themes we're going to talk about um, as we go through this whole series. Jesus had a criticism of the religious leaders of his day, and he said about them, Isaiah was right when he said about you hypocrites, as it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In other words, he said the religious leaders would, would mouth the, the, the right things to say, but they would just follow a script. They weren't speaking what's truly from their hearts. He, he criticized them because they, they wanted to pray in public so that they'd be seen by men but they wouldn't really just sit down and speak to to God, their father. Um, They sought to impress the crowds with their many words, but they didn't know how to just talk to God. Jesus instead taught his followers, pray to our father who is in heaven. And when you pray, get alone. He knows what you're going to say. He knows what you need. Get alone and he will, your father in heaven will reward you. What I want to communicate right from the get-go is that you can talk to God about what's really on your heart. You don't need to put up a false front when you don't feel it. If you are hurt and angry and your life is going to pieces, God, the God that we live for and follow, would rather you yell and even curse at him than put up a false front. God does not want you to just mouth pious words that don't match what's going on deep inside. Have you ever yelled at God? Have you ever used a four-letter word at God? Have you ever thrown things while you're in the midst of prayer? For me, it's yes to all three. Um, fear not, O oh people. Our God is not easily offended. He is not, he's not a snowflake, right? He's not super sensitive about how you talk about him. In fact, he's actually, if you believe Jesus, he's actually more offended by our falseness than he is when we pray what's really going on in our heart. And how do we know this? We know it because Jesus said it. We also know it because God gave us in his word these Psalms. And maybe you've read through some of them before. Maybe not, but 
people are, are saying all kinds of things. There's different moods. Some of the psalms are songs of praise and joy and thanksgiving, and they're very positive. But others of them are people dealing with anger and disappointment and frustration and even depression. And they're bringing their real feelings to God. Today, we're going to look at Psalm 44. And really what we're going to do is, is talking about is how can we pray when we feel disappointed or let down by God? And maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you've, you've prayed about something and God has not answered. Maybe things are going on in your life and you are hurting right now. And it's really hard to just worship and, and sing songs of praise when inside you're like, God, why are you letting this happen? So let's look at Psalm 44 and see what it has to say for us today. So starting off at the beginning, so backing up, starts off with, Oh God, we have heard with our ears and our fathers have told us what deeds you performed in their days, in the days of old. So the psalmist, it says, the postscript tells us the sons of Korah, which just means it's a, a, a group, a worship leader group. Um, he's speaking plurally. We have heard with our ears. Our fathers have told us. Um, so he's speaking on behalf of the people, not just for himself. Yet at times, you'll notice he'll switch to I. So he's also speaking his own feelings. It's, it's kind of both within this. And he'll go back and forth between I and we in the, in the psalm. And he, he begins by highlighting that in the days of old, in their father's days, that God had given victory to his people, um, that God had done amazing things. And verse 3, it says, For not by their own sword did they win the land, nor did their own, own arms save them, but your right hand and your arm and the light of your face, for you delighted in them. In other words, he's saying, we didn't win those battles because we were the greatest warriors. We won them because God was with us. All right, right there we got to stop. Because, friends, that is not how they talked in the ancient world. If you would read the ancient literature of the other nations at that same time, they spent a lot of time boasting about their victories and how great as soldiers they were. And the, the Egyptian hieroglyphics often would show the defeated enemies that they had, and it's their strength that conquered them. But right here, we see that the Bible is different. No, God, it wasn't because we were the greatest soldiers in the world. It's because you are our God that we won those battles. It's also declaring right from the get-go that he believes in the word of God. Um, at this point, he would have believed in the stories that preceded them, stories, the, the accounts of, of the early part of the Old Testament, and in fact, there's a, uh, if you could tell, there's sort of a reference to one of them. And that is, it says, you afflicted the peoples, but them, our fathers, you set free. I think that's referring to the, the 10 plagues in Egypt, where the Egyptians were afflicted with the plagues, but God protected his people from them and ultimately set them free from slavery. So, so raise your hand if you grew up in Sunday school. I actually did not. I, I came to faith later. So you could probably do this. What are some of those great Sunday school stories from the Old Testament 
about things, impressive miracles that God has done in, in days of past. Anyone got one that they want to yell out? David and Goliath, thank you. What else? What are some of the other impressive deeds of old? Parting of the Red Sea. Again, Moses. Noah, protecting Noah and his family. Jericho, Joshua and the Battle of Jericho. The Ten Commandments, Jonah and the whale. Though Jonah may have been after this psalm. We don't know for sure. Daniel, Daniel and the lion's den. So yeah, there's. we know because we've read the Old Testament as well as the New, that God has done some impressive deeds. We know his power. And so, so that's how he starts. Um, and we sing, Lord, I know you gave great victories to your people. I believe that. You know, we believe in God the Father. We believe all that. But, but right now, things are going wrong. And in the, when things are going wrong, it's important to hold on to the reality of God. These are not just nice stories we learned as kids. These really happened. And God is real. That's a starting point. Hold on to that truth. Then in verse 4, he switches, and he affirms their trust in God's leadership and protection. So he says, you are my king, O God, ordained salvation for Jacob. And it kind of goes through in those 4 to 8, how we trust that God that you will answer. Um, we know you'll deal with those who come against us. I, I like, for not in my bow do I trust, nor can my sword save me. So he's saying, you know, we know it's not our sword that's going to save us. Now, when he said this, did that mean he put down a sword and let the enemies just defeat them? No. They still were ready for battle. And they still knew that they might have to fight a battle. Um, but when we trust in the Lord, it means we put him first, we honor him, but it does not necessarily mean we are passive. We actively seek to follow him and do as he leads, even as we trust in him and his leadership in our life. And it says we walk by faith, not we lay flat on the ground by faith. So sometimes we're still called to act even as we trust in God. And that might mean you might pray for healing, but you're still called to go to the doctor and see if they have a cure. Um, so that's one thing. So I, if you had to rewrite this verse, though, I, I do not own a bow and arrow. I do not own a sword, though it would be really cool if I did. So I, I can't really pray this myself. But if you had to put other things in the blanks, what might you put? You know, I do not trust in my bank accounts and my, and my 501k won't save me. You know, think for yourself, what would you put in those blanks right now that you are trusting instead of God? And then verse eight ends in Selah, which meant that it was time to pause and meditate. So thinking about that, that question, what do we trust in? And then verse 9, it shifts again. And this is the part I read earlier. So I won't read it again. But overall, what it does, this section, it lays out the disappointment and confusion over what God had allowed. Now we start to get clues as to what situation 
the psalmist was actually praying about. And what might be worth doing is just underlining as you go through the different words that highlight how they're feeling about God in this moment. You could say, um, Lord, you know, up to this says, Lord, we trust you. We trust in your power. But, so verse 17 uh, or 9 starts with, but you have rejected us. You have disgraced us. You have abandoned our armies. You have caused us to turn back from the foe. And those who hate us have gotten spoiled. So they've lost a military victory. In the battle, the one that that the troops flee, that's the one that loses. Well, the Israelite soldiers got afraid first, and they were the ones that fled from the enemy. It says, you've made us like sheep for slaughter and scattered us among the nations. It was a really bad loss. It says, you've sold your people for a trifle, demanding no high price for them. They feel sold out by God. That going to battle was going to be slaughtered. And then it goes on to say, you have we we're taunted. We're the laughingstock of the nations. All day long, my disgrace is before me. My shame has covered my face. It's not just a military loss. They feel ashamed, reviled, taunted. Do you think as he prayed this, he calmly recited all these phrases? No, he was pouring his heart out. This was prayed with emotion and intensity. And all the time, he's saying he's convinced God would answer. But so far, he hasn't. Felt abandoned, felt sold out. It is in those moments we have a choice. When we, when we've, we feel like God is disappointed, as God did not come through as we had hoped, we have a choice. We can stop believing and stop trusting in him. We'll, we'll figure it out ourselves from here on out. Or we'll even walk away from faith altogether. Or in that moment, when you feel like God has let you down, you can make the choice to double down. Lord, I bet everything on you. And I'm going to double down on my bet. Right now, it feels like I'm losing. Right now, it feels like I made a bad bet. But I'm going all in. I'm bringing all I have. And I know you will meet me in this situation. But as we pray, be honest. Let God know how you're really feeling. Don't pretend that you're feeling okay when, when everything else is falling apart. Shifts again at verse 17. And this is actually the part that caught my attention. It says, All of this has come upon us, though we have not forgotten you, and we have not been false to your covenant goes on to say, we, we've not turned back. We've not departed from your way. You know, later it says, if, if we had forgotten the name of God or started worshiping other, other foreign gods, then this would make sense. If we are being punished for, for not living up to our part of the covenant, then I could understand this. But the psalmist is insistent, no, we had not done that, Lord. We were, we were being faithful. Now, he may be wrong, you know, it could be that, that, that they were doing worse than he thought. Um, and it's not saying that, oh, we were perfect. But I think it's truly saying they, they were not being punished for their sin. They were still doing what they were supposed to do for the most part. 
but we can get this idea in our head that if my life is going badly, it must be because of sin. It must be because God is angry at me for something I've done. Now, of course, that implies if things are going well, it must be because I have pleased God and I'm being rewarded. Jesus told us that's not how it works. If your life is, is, is not going well, it's not because God is angry at you or out to get you. And in fact, he told his disciples in John 16. This is a verse worth memorizing, by the way. John 16, 33. He, he, uh, he had said, I told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So what's the promise in that verse? You could say the promise is peace. It sort of is. But really the promise is you will have trouble, right? That's the same word for tribulation, by the way, or affliction. Things will go wrong because we are living in the world we live in. Things will not always go as we heart. We'll have troubles, afflictions, losses, heartbreaks, not because we've done stuff wrong, not because we've sinned, simply because we are living in a broken and hurting world, and we're a part of that world. But then he says, I have good news in the midst of that. I've come to fix things. I have overcome the world. Jesus, the Savior, came to set things right. He has won the victory already, and we are on the winning side. Paul gives us the same idea. He, in Romans 8, Paul actually quotes Psalm 44. Maybe you've read this part before in Romans 8 and never realized what he was quoting. Um, in Romans 8, 36, it says, As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all day long, we are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. So that's from our psalm today. And so the question is, does, do the sufferings of our present time, this is what Paul's asking in Romans 8, mean that God is against us? And Paul says, no. God, is, God gave up his son for us. There's no way he's against us. If God is for us, who can be against us? In fact, he says, no. In all these things... We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Can we believe, even in the midst of losses and, and things going wrong and disappointments, can we believe that we are still on the winning side, that we are victors in Christ, that we have his victory with us always? So we come to the last section of, of our psalm. 23 to 26. And it's only now, after all these verses, that the psalmist actually expresses his request from God, what he wants God to do. So it's all been leading up to this. And he gives three basic things he asks for from God. That God, that God would awake. That God would rouse himself and see their situation. He wants to know that God really knows what's going on, that God is not asleep, that God is not unaware 
of their situation. It doesn't make all the difference when we know our God knows what's going on, that he knows what we're facing and what we're struggling with. The second request he makes is rise up, that God would take action and come to their aid, that God would do something about what they're facing, would give them the victory, that would help them overcome the the opponents that they're facing. And then the third request in that is redeem us, that God would set them free from their enemies, that the word redeem has to do with, with, with purchasing, purchasing someone out of slavery, that, that they had become enslaved in a sense to the enemies who've defeated them, that God would liberate them through his power and redeem them out of that situation. And it, it closes with redeem us for the stake of your steadfast love. That, that word steadfast love is a key word in Hebrew. It's a single word called kesed. It means steadfast love, covenant love. It's love based on the covenant that God has created with his people, has made with his people. And so the psalmist is calling upon the fact that God had made a covenant with them. And now, God, because of this covenant, redeem us, save us. We are your people, trusting that God would follow through on the covenant he has made. So, Given those three requests, awake, rise up, redeem us, did God answer? Well, um, we don't know the setting of Psalm 44. We're not told the exact situation, so we, we don't know how he might have answered in that time. But we do know how he answered this prayer for all time, for us in a very specific way. See, God has chosen to demonstrate his covenant love, his steadfast love, by sending his one and only son into our midst. You see, Jesus, the son of God, joined us in our condition in this broken world. He did not keep himself safe and removed from the dangers and the hurt and the the pain that we feel in this life. And in fact, if you go back from verses 9 or so, and look at everything it complained about happening, you can find a way in which Jesus, the Son of God, experienced that same thing. He joined us in our condition as human beings. The Son of God became fully human, and so he endured. So you could say Jesus was defeated as he was allowed to be arrested and and sent to execution. It had seemed if in that time that the enemies and opponents of God had won. Um, those who had hated God got their way. It says that his, um, when he was arrested, his followers were scattered. Um, we talk about the verse where it said, do not tr- I do not trust in my sword. Well, when Jesus was arrested, Peter tried to take a sword and, and fight to save him. And Jesus stopped him and had to heal the guy that he hurt. Jesus did not trust in the sword to save him. He put himself in the hands of God and even in the hands of God's enemies. And when he was sentenced to execution on the cross, he was disgraced, publicly executed by lifted up on a, on a cross for all to see, just like a common criminal. He was shamed. People gathered around and mocked and scorned him in that moment. 
and all that had come upon him, though he had not forgotten God, though he had done nothing wrong. He came as a sheep to be slaughtered, or maybe as a lamb to be slaughtered. Just as it says, you sold your people, Jesus was given as the price for our sin, the sin of mankind. And he was broken in the place of jackals as people hovered over his his broken body. And it says he was covered with the shadow of death as he was placed in the tomb. Jesus, the Son of God, joined us in the human condition and experienced the losses and heartaches so that he could give answer to Psalm 44. He answered the request. What did he do? What were the three things? Awake. On the third day, he awoke. He came back to life at the po- by the power of the Father. He did not remain in the tomb. He did not remain unaware of this world, but again was alive and awake and, and, and ready to, to respond to people. He rose up. He was brought back to life and, in, and went and encountered his disciples, his followers, and met with them to show that he was alive again, that he was there. And then um, lastly, redeem us. He gave his life to redeem us from the guilt of our sin that we might be included in God's kesed, God's covenant relationship of love. He joined us in defeat so that we can join him in victory. As Paul said, even though all this is going on, we are more than conquerors. If we share in his death, we put our faith in Jesus, the one on the cross, then we will share in his resurrection. We are already victorious. Friends, I have two questions as we we wind up. Have you ever felt disappointed by God? And in the midst of that, how did you respond to it? Be honest with yourself. Have you ever felt like, God, you let me down? Did that lead you to pray more? And then secondly, do you struggle to bring your honest feelings to God in prayer? Can you talk with God and really get with him, know how he feels? If I could suggest one thing on a practical level is is for me, I, I have to journal. I get those little notebook things and I fill one up every four or five months. And just sometimes I only do a little bit, but sometimes I'm writing out everything I'm feeling before God. That's the way I found to bring my honest prayers to God. May you learn how you can bring all that you are to all that you know to the God, to the God that loves us more than we can imagine. Father, I thank you that, that we don't have to pretend with you. We, can, we thank you that your love is real, that your, your power is real, and that we can bring whatever is going on in our life to you at any time. Lord, help us learn to talk to you. May our prayers be true and honest, and may they draw us closer.